You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Last Sunday, if you were here, uh, you would have caught the first of two important messages on the subject of giving, and in particular, financial giving. And the subject last week was the pocket and the heart. And we tried to unpack the reality that we find in Scripture, we certainly find in life as well, that our pocket is connected to our heart. And what I mean by that is our substance, our finances, our bank account, what, what we do with what we have, it is connected to our heart. It is a heart issue. Uh, but the good news is that our heart can grow. We can progress in the subject of the heart. I thank God because, you know, when I, when I gave my life to Jesus, I surrendered my, my life in, in concept. Uh, I had wrestled for six months with the idea that Jesus was God and that he gave his life for me. But, but I knew really to follow Jesus, I came to understand I needed to give my life to him. And I, I wrestled for six months in my seat. And, uh, you know, I, the reality was I was about to go to university. I, I was going to study law. I wanted to work in the city of London, earning a million pounds a year. That, that was my dream. And I knew, I met these people who knew God. I mean, they, they knew God. It was incredible. They, they spoke to him and he spoke to them. And I could see they had this beautiful relationship with God. And I came to believe what they believed, but I didn't have what they had. And I came to this horrible realization that in some way or another, all different, but they had given their lives to Christ. They said, you are Lord. You, I will follow you. I will do whatever you want me to do, whatever, wherever, whenever. And I looked at that and I was like, I, I want what they've got, but I'm not sure I'm willing to pay that price. You know, because I, I could end up working in Coventry for a church or something instead. You know, I, I, never, I never said that. I'm, I'm absolutely, uh, it's a joy of my life to do what I do. The truth is God knew me better than I knew myself. I don't even like paperwork. I don't know why I wanted to be a lawyer, you know. So, um, but I just wanted to earn money. And uh, so, and I gave, and I surrendered my life to Christ. There was a, a preacher preaching on the cross, and it was like something that had been out of focus came into perfect resolution. And I saw a perspective that Christ had given his whole self for me. That this saviour of the world, God himself, had been beaten and hung on a cross, given his whole life for me. And here was little grotty old me trying to hang on to the little that I had and wrestling and, and something broke in me. And I shoved my way out of a pew in a little Church of England church in, in inner city Nottingham. And I went down the front and I surrendered my life. And, and at that moment I was saying, God... Whatever, wherever, whenever, I hand over the steering wheel, as it were, of my life to you, and I'll now ride alongside. And yet the reality was, the work in my heart has continued to go on from, from that day to this. It wasn't death by installments, as some people, you know, they, they put their hand up in a meeting, they make a profession of faith, and then they understand that actually God wants them in resurrected life, but you only get a resurrection when there's a death. Hello? Jesus wants you fully alive. He wants his resurrection life in you, but you don't get a resurrection without a death. And many people, you know, they put a hand up and then the, the next, their journey into fullness is death by installments. Thankfully for me, it wasn't that. I gave and I surrendered all. And yet the work in my heart and the journey in my heart, I thank God for his work in my life. I want to say to you, God is working on your heart. And when we're talking about the pocket and the heart, you know, we're not, we're not coming after your money. We're coming after discipleship and understanding a very significant part of our heart journey is our pocket journey. And so we teach into this a couple, of, a couple of weeks a year, normally around this time of year. And we said last week, we were really conscious. Some people, it will be your first time at CLM today, and we're talking about giving. But the reality is we've got to talk about it sometime if we're going to address a key discipleship area, and it's always going to be somebody's first week. So if it's your first time, welcome. We're speaking on the pocket and the heart. And uh, that, that is where we are. Last week, we heard from... 
the wonderful Jimmy Evans, that clip that we played from the Blessed Life series, we're running through our life groups where he said, giving has changed my family, it's broken a spirit of poverty off my life, an orphan spirit off my life, and he said, and I know God because of giving, and I can identify with that statement, and we have learned to trust God and we've seen him come through. You know, I mean, I'm not talking about stories years ago. We are walking in something right now in this season of our lives. So we, we had an increase come into our, our finances uh, four weeks ago. And uh, so what we do, we, we, if there's an increase, we'll bring that first increase. We'll, we'll bring it uh, on top of tithes and other offerings. We'll bring it first fruits. So, so first we had this increase, we brought it. Then this week, I mean, it's no big deal. We just, it's, so we're trying to live. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, we're living it. I, I can say like Paul did, you know, follow me. I can say hand on heart with this as, as God is my judge. And uh, we, uh, we gave something and this week we got a check from uh, in a card, in the post, out the blue, from someone in another part of the country said, I, I felt to give you this. And it was larger than what we had brought as a first fruits offering. You can't make this stuff up, but you learn to trust God and you see the hand of blessing upon your life. But I'm aware this is a delicate and a sensitive area. You know, I'm aware that when we go there, it's some people can tighten up and feel a little bit edgy. I want to say relax. Be open to God. Know that he wants the very best for your life. And sometimes challenge comes into our world to bring us to a breakthrough of freedom. It brings us to, God is committed to us being all that he created us to be. And sometimes it will challenge us, but it will take us somewhere beautiful, somewhere further. God is not trying to limit you. He's not trying to restrict you. He's trying to free you. He's trying to expand you. This is how God works. This is an incredibly important area of discipleship. And also, you know, we say it's a delicate area. I felt moved when Esther just breaking open into communion and read those verses. that This is my body broken for you. Hello? Do you understand what we've just done? Jesus, he gave all. He gave, this, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Come, that you may have newness of life. And then we can wrestle and we can hold. And, and we need things to come into focus, to come into perspective. He gave all, like the great hymn says. We're the whole realm of nature mine. It's an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands just, you know, 50p. Demands a little response, demands that maybe occasionally I'll say, thanks Lord. No, demands my soul. What do you mean demand? It's an appropriate response, my soul, my life, my all. This is my body broken for you. So we're returning this week, second week, the pocket and the heart. And this week, we're going to look at the principle of first. Can you say that with me? The principle of first or the principle of first things. If you've got a Bible, come with me to the book of Malachi. It's right at the end of the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. And uh, just want to say this, that uh, if you know the scriptures well, you've been in church a long time and you're wrestling in this area, then uh, relax as we turn to Malachi because I, I could not and will not try and teach a principle of tithing to New Testament church from Malachi 3 alone. However, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is the word of the Lord and it sits within a much bigger picture which we'll visit today, but it is an important scripture. We can learn some things out of this. It's not the whole picture, but it's an important piece in the picture. And this is what the Bible says, Malachi 3 verse 6, I the Lord do not change. I wonder, can we say that together? I the Lord do not change. Interesting. Let's just log that thought, what we're about to look at. God says, I I, I don't change. And then that's what he says. So you, the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. What he's saying here is uh, because I'm merciful and I'm ever merciful, you're still alive or else I would have killed you by now. But, but thankfully, God doesn't change. But it's interesting. He is unchanging and uh, immutable. Verse 7, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, the whole nation 
because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, tithe means tenth by the way, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Lord, I pray you'd help us. Would you soften our hearts? Would you help us to fall into line with what you have for our lives, that we would honor you and we would also receive your blessing in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. I'd like to unpack this principle of first. How, you see, how, what we do with what we have is part of relationship. It is part of covenant. You see here, God is saying, bring to me what is mine and I'll throw the windows of heaven open. If everyone will look at you and they'll say, they're blessed. All the nations of the earth will call you blessed. He said, just, just you do what's right before me. Enter into covenant with me and watch what I'll do. You, you, you won't outgive me. In fact, if you just do what you need to do, everyone's going to look at you and go, they're blessed. All the nations of the earth will call you blessed. This is what God says, says the Lord Almighty. I want to unpack how this really is connected to relationship covenant. I think we need to understand five things. This is going to be our journey today. The first thing we need to understand is that God is first and God is best. Can we say amen to that? God is first and God is best. God is almighty. There's no one like God. The psalmist says, uh, Oh Lord God almighty, who is like you? Rhetorical question. You are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. There's none like the Lord. No one can compare. He's a consuming fire. He's great and greatly to be praised. He's almighty. He's all powerful. He's awesome, he's majestic, he's, he's preeminent, which means he's unrivaled, he's unsurpassed, he's uh, unequaled, he's incomparable, he's matchless. He is God alone. He has no peers. He has no rival. He, he cannot be second. Hello? He, this is my God. He cannot be second. You can make him second in your life, but you don't diminish him. He, he is first. He is the greatest. He is, there is no one like God. He is greater than any other. I, I know in life we sometimes, people rise to prominence in, in a certain field or whatever. You know, like Usain Bolt would be an example for me. You know, the, the great sprinter, 100 meters, 200 meters, and if no one's cheating on his team, four by 100 meters. They're, they're all his. Time after time. He's going to, now, you know, you think they build it up and someone's going to come close. Someone's going to run him down. They didn't run him down. But, but he's not in the pole vault, you know, he's, he's not, he, maybe he could have done the long jump, but he didn't do the long, you know, he's not in the shot part, he's not, he's not playing rugby, you know, he, and for a period of time, then he has to hang up his Nikes and say, I'm done. I want to say that no one comes close to God. That he's not, in every area of goodness and greatness, there is none. He's out, he's in his own league. Hello? I know I'm laboring it, but I think it's important we get it because the first, the principle of first begins with an understanding that God is first, that God is best, that God is the greatest. You know, if, if you turn to the book of Job, the book of Job is a, an incredible story of a man who was so blessed and had so much and in one chapter loses literally everything and then for 36 chapters there's conversation. Everyone's talking about whose fault it is, what God's done, whether it's God's fault, you know, whether it's Job's fault or everyone's got their opinion and then in verse uh, 38 uh, God speaks and everyone shuts up. And this is what God says, uh, who, excuse me, this is my paraphrase, uh, excuse me, who, who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And then he says, were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? What, do you understand what happened when I marked off its dimensions? When I stretched a measuring line across the earth? On what were its footings set? Do you know that? Were the morning stars, were you there when the morning stars sang together? Um, who was it who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? 
When I made the clouds its garment, when I said, thus far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. And, and God, for two chapters, God says, were you there when I created the heavens and the earth? Uh, you, you know, you're talking like you've got an opinion about whether I'm right or wrong. Were you there when I put the stars in the sky? Did, did you do that? Oh, have you worked out how gravity works? You have of you. I don't think so. And what happens after two chapters, Job says this, I, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I, I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And then God goes again for another two chapters. And he says, can you do this? Can, can you do, th- do you understand this? Can you do this? Can, do, excuse me? Were you there? Uh, and there's a perspective starts to come on Job and his friends. And at the end of another two chapters, Job says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I mean, the man's got nothing, but he understands he's in the presence of a holy God. And then it says, and so God blessed him double what he had before. But en route, God makes a little point. He's first and he's best. There's nobody like God. God is greater than any other. There is none like unto God. And here is the point that if God is first in my life, I become aligned. Hello? God is first. And so when I make him first, I become aligned and things start to fall into place. Things begin to work. You see, if if there's an area of my life where God isn't first, then I don't displace God. I'm out of whack. So for instance, like if, I, if I've got an issue with pride and I'm not willing to yield to God, I'm not willing to uh, try and seek his ways on that issue, what's going to happen is I'm, his ways are perfect, so I become misaligned. And so my relationships will be out of kilter. It will impact me negatively. You see, if God is first and best, then his ways are first and best. Does that make sense? Because the, the ways of God, the psalmist says, are perfect. Isaiah says, your, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And so God's ways are perfect. He is first, he is best, and his ways are first and best. You know, for me, I, I think this is the essence of what it really means to be Christian. You see, it's, it's so much more than receiving forgiveness for our sins because of the cross. And I thank God into eternity that Christ died for me. But being a Christian is more than that. It's accepting his wonderful gift of grace and then it is coming aligned to be the people that God designed us to be, to be the person God made you and created you to be, to come and align yourself to his ways that are perfect because he is first and he is best. So how does this outwork? Well, according to the principle of first, which you see in Bible, in the Bible, God is first and best. And secondly, we need to understand this. The first and the best belong to God, which invokes his blessing. The first and the best belong to God, which invokes his blessing. This is where we have to look at the whole of Scripture. We see a principle that the first and the best belong to him because he is first and he is best. And that is where a blessing comes. You see, he's saying in Malachi, bring the first and the best to me and I'll open the windows of heaven on you. But I am first and I am best. You've you got to acknowledge me like that and then I'm going to bless your socks off. You have more than you ever dreamed of. I'm not actually after anything off you other than your alignment, other than your worship, other than your relationship, other than your covenant. And yet we struggle with this idea. This is my body broken for you, and yet we struggle to align ourselves sometimes in this area. You see, the, the first and the best belong to God. Now, I understand there are many who would say, well, it, well, isn't that the law? We'll address that in a moment. Let me say this principle of first sits way outside of the law. Yes, it's articulated in the law, which we'll see shortly, but it's way before the law. This is a principle before the law, expressed in the law, And after the law, it's a principle in God. So God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says, on day six. Whether you take that literally or not isn't my point today. But day seven, it says, the Lord said the day was to be holy. It was a Sabbath day. So Adam's first day on earth and Eve's first day belonged to the Lord. They'd just been created and they're like, right, what can we do? Nothing. Just 
Give me this first day. Why? Because the first and best belong to the Lord. And it says, and the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. There's a blessing. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. So in in Genesis chapter uh, 4, we see, uh, we see Cain and Abel, this is two and a half thousand years before the law is given. And this is what the Bible says. It says, Cain, in the course of time, Cain brought some of his crops. But Abel brought the fat portions, which are the best, from some of the firstborn of his flock. And then it says this, and the Lord looked with favor. Can we all say favor? The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Here's the important point. Abel brought the first and the best to God, and he looked with favor, not only on the offering, but on the offerer. Couldn't separate them out. And what we bring, since we come into worship, we bring our best to God. I always position myself when we come to try and be a worship. We want to bring my best to God, because we can't separate our, our offering from ourselves. The Bible says he looked with favor upon Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Because Cain, in the course of time, brought some. He was casual. He brought an offering, but he was casual about it. But Abel brought the first and the best of what he had. And the Bible says that God looked with favor two and a half thousand years before the law. The principle carries on. And uh, there are many places I could go to. Genesis 14, Abraham meets someone called Melchizedek. Melchizedek says he's the king of Salem. He has no beginning and no end. He brings out the bread and the wine. Personally, it is my conviction, this is Christ. That God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the foundations of the earth. And the Son who became flesh in Bethlehem, that he appears to Abraham. And this is what, what it says, that, that Abraham came to him and, uh, and Melchizedek, who is a high priest, who has no beginning and no end, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Doesn't say Melchizedek asked for it. Now maybe he did, but I, I think Abraham came into the presence of Melchizedek, who I believe is Christ appearing to him, a Christophany. And, and he, his heart response was to say, I, I've, got to, I've got to give you something. Gave him a tenth of everything. And then it says, and it says, Melchizedek blessed him. There's a principle, the first and the best belong to God, and that invokes the blessing of God. A little later on, God says to Abraham, I want you to give me your one and only son, Isaac. And it says that Abraham did not withhold Isaac. This is Genesis 22. And God lets him come right to the point of committal where he's about to sacrifice his son. And then God steps in and says, stop. And then he says this, because you did not withhold your one and only son, therefore I will bless you. And the nations of the earth will call you blessed. There's something here that God is first. The first and the best belong to him. And when the first and best are brought to him, he releases a blessing on us. But it is part of covenantal relationship. A covenant was established between God and Abraham. And also in that moment, Abraham starts to understand God differently. In fact, in that encounter, he says, God is my provider. We get Jehovah Jireh there. He says he called the place Jehovah Jireh. And it means literally this, the God who sees and the God who sees to it. When he brought his first and his best, something happened and he understood that he served the one who sees and the one who sees to it. This is part of our issue. Sometimes we withhold because we don't understand that God will see to it. I want to tell you, God will see to it. God will see to it. You know, I, we have been on this journey. I, I talked to you last week about how I, I started tithing as a student, not because, I, as I remember, I don't remember hearing a sermon. I just felt this conviction. I, I think my suspicion of what happened with Abraham and Melchizedek, I just felt I needed to do this. And so I started to do it, not because I had enough. You know, what I, what, what I gave was off a student grant. It was about 30, 40% of what you needed to live in, but it was my income. And so I, I, not, not because I had an abundance, but because it was right. And then something happened. I was in my first year, uh, my second term at university, and I, and I started to tithe on, on, on not enough. That summer, so this was February, that summer in, uh, in June, I needed a job. I lived in Nottingham and the best paid student job, it was well known, was at a pork pie factory called Pork Farms. Anyone ever eaten a pork, uh, pork farms pork pie? I don't know. Um, absolutely nobody. One person. That's incredible. Um, so you may have heard of pork farms that they make pork pies and sausage rolls. It was the best paid student job that you could get. 
They, they paid way over the odds and you could do additional shifts. You, you know, you, I mean, it was, it was big money for a student. But I knew because I had friends who worked there that if you wanted to work the summer, you had to apply at Christmas. I hadn't applied at Christmas. I also knew because I had a friend who worked there, they had a waiting list of about 100 people who wanted to get on as a student, a student working over the summers. I got back home, I'd started to tithe, and, uh, and then I started to pray because I needed a job. And I, I spent two weeks, I got back to my city from where I was studying. I was trying to get a job, I was applying for stuff. I worked hard at getting work, but I got nowhere. And I remember praying, I said, God, I need your help. And, and the Holy Spirit said to me, phones, pork farms. I said, Lord, don't be silly. I said, Lord, I know there's a queue of 100 people. Are you? I'm, like, I'm like, Lord, uh, Lord, you have to apply at Christmas. <laughs> like, you didn't know that. He said, phone port farms. I was like, it, it doesn't make sense. But that impression wouldn't go away. I went downstairs and, and it was a, like a dial phone. I mean, I'm that old. It was like, so I, I dialed, I found the phone book. Hello. It's how the world used to work. Um, can't imagine it now. Can you remember it? Um, I like phone, phone book, Port Farms dialed, uh, rang. Can you put me through to HR, please? Put me through to HR. I said, hi, um, my name's Martin. I'm, I'm a student. I, I, I haven't applied with you. I'm not on your list, but I'm, I'm looking for work. I, I, I don't suppose... You got anything? And she said, well, it's funny you should phone just now because the director's just come in. Uh, He wants me to take four more students on. Uh, If you can get yourself down here in an hour, you can start tomorrow. Now, you you could say, that's not fair. That's right. It's not fair. It's favor. Okay, so now, I... I finished university in credit, which is a modern, modern day miracle, because I worked all my holidays at Port Farms. I, I mean, I was, I earned a lot of money. I was taking home 400 quid cash, this is 20 years ago, a week. They paid you in cash in a brown envelope in those days. You just had to be careful not, not to spend it on the way home. <laughs> now, here's my point. The first and the best belong to the Lord, and then it'll open the windows of heaven. But you have to make the first move. That the first and the best belong to God. Cain and Abel, Melchizedek. You know, this is Israel are just coming out of Egypt. God delivers them from Egypt. He's bringing them into the promised land via the wilderness. Most of you will know the story. They come out of Egypt and then they are. They need to cross the Red Sea. Yeah, who, who knows? Remember what I'm talking about here. They need to cross the Red Sea. But they are Egypt's side of the Red Sea. This is just before the Red Sea opens. But God starts to speak to them about what covenant is going to look like. And this is what he says in, uh, in uh, Exodus 20. Consecrate to me every firstborn. Every firstborn offspring from man or beast belongs to me. And the language is really emphatic. It's mine, God says. Why? Not, not, because, not because he wants to rob them, but he wants covenant. Trust me with your first and your best as a demonstration that you acknowledge me as first and best, and then I'll bring you into promised land. I'm going to bring you somewhere that's flowing with milk and honey. You, you will, people will call you blessed, but this is what is required of you. Uh, one more thing to point us to, which is Proverbs. And many of us will know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Who said that? It's one of the most famous verses in Proverbs. Proverbs, by the way, is not the law, it's wisdom. It's a wisdom book. It's not saying you've got to do this, it's saying it's wise if you do this. So this is wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Well, well, we could stop right there because part of what we're talking about here, the issue for people can be that we try and lean on our own understanding. We try and make this work. We do the maths. He says, don't, don't do that. In all your ways, submit to him. It means he's yield. Do what he asks you to do and he'll make your path straight. He'll work it out in a way that you couldn't have worked it out. And then it goes on, and, and, and literally two verses later, he says this in the backdrop of 
Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. How can it be that you honor God with the first fruits and then your barns are going to be filled with every kind of provision? Haven't you just got less? He says, bring what's mine. It belongs to me. And then the hand of blessing will come on you. First and the best to the Lord God's hand on, first and best withheld, God's hand off. That's what I believe with all my heart. This is, this is outside of the law. This is a principle in God of how God wants to function with his people. It's how he functioned with Israel, how he functioned with Abraham, and it's how I believe he wants to function with us. The language of belong is very strong in the Bible. He says in Malachi 3, you're robbing me. When Israel get into Uh, The promised land, the first city is Jericho. Most of you will know that. And God says, I want all the plunder of Jericho devoted to me. It's mine. Why? Because it's the first city. He says, you can have every city from here, but the first city is mine. Because I'm delivering you in. Just Now, can you imagine what faith that took? You know, there's no other cities brought and they get in. They've had 40 years in the wilderness and they, they conquered Jericho by miracle. And then they, they got to give it all. Wouldn't you want to keep some? Well, one guy did keep some called Achan. And they went to the next city and God's hand was not with them. And they failed. And Joshua came back to God. He said, we should never have come in here. And the Lord said, no, you were right to come in here, but there's a problem. What belonged to me has been withheld. In fact, he said, it's been stolen. That's the, the language of the Bible. Now they sort it out and they find it and it gets resolved and God's hand of blessing comes upon them. I know this is really strong, but the Bible language says that with a tithe, the tenth, to come to the Lord, there's only two things you can do with a tithe. You can either bring it or you can steal it. That's the Bible language. This is why you'll never hear us say, let's give our tithes. You can't give what's not yours. You can only bring it. You'll hear Esther early. If you take note of it, we'll say, we're going to bring our tithes and offerings. That's what we say here. Because this is what we believe that we're doing. We're, we're bringing what is his to him. God is first, God is best. The first and the best belong to God. Uh, thirdly, we have to understand this. The law expressed the principle of first. The law didn't invent the principle of first. The law articulated the principle of first. The principle exists outside of the law, but the law came to help God's people know how to live because they were not a spirit-filled people. See, God was working and moving towards a day when the law was not written on tablets of stone with a we have to do it spirit, but written on the hearts of his people with a we get to do it spirit. God was working towards us where his spirit is within us. But within the law, this principle is articulated. It's expressed. You would expect it to be articulated. There are, there are principles that sit outside of the law, like we should love one another. So, so you know, Jesus says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. It's a principle that God, in creation, creating uh, the human race, wanted us to love one another. So in the law, it says, therefore, don't murder each other. It'd be a good idea. We don't mur- Let me just spell that out for you. But it's not inventing a principle, it's articulating a principle. And so we find in the law a number of expressions of the principle of first. So bring your first fruits, bring, bring your tithes, and, and many things are expressed. I mean, just to give you a couple, Exodus 23, 19 says, Bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. This is what was expected of God's people. Leviticus 27 Verse 30, a tithe, which means a tenth from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. A tenth belongs to God. And then Malachi, which we read at the start, uh, the prophet is speaking, saying you're neglecting embodying this principle of first and something's out of whack and judgment comes to the people of God. And so we then, though, we're left, aren't we, wondering, well, what are we supposed to do because we're New Testament, right? We're under a new covenant. We're not under the law. So how, how, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, the fourth thing we need to understand is this, that grace always surpasses law. Can we say that together? Grace. Gra- we're in a covenant of grace. It surpasses law. It doesn't pull back. It, it goes further. What, what we enter into goes beyond 
It is something else. It's a, it's a new dimension. You see, Jesus comes not to discard the principle and not to abolish the law, but he says to fulfill the law. He says, I've, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. This is what he says in Matthew 5. Don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've, come to, uh, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And then he goes on and he says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. I tell you, don't get angry. Don't call your brother Raka, which means stupid or idiot. But what, what's he saying here? He's saying the seed of murder is anger. The, the law says don't murder. I've come to fulfill that. This is how you should live. Don't get angry with one another. He said, you've heard it said do not commit adultery. Let me say to you, don't commit, don't commit lust because the seed of adultery is lust. Jesus doesn't come to say, ah, we've forgotten all of that. He says, let it come to its fullness. And if we actually let the principle of first things come to its fullness, then we understand it all belongs to the Lord. It's all his. Hello? Let me say it again. It's all his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That means that everything you have, the clothes that you are wearing, the, you know, any money that you may or may not have in your bank account, it's actually the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord. The principle of first acknowledges that he is first and we give what is due to him. But Jesus comes. This is why he says to the rich young ruler, he said, I've kept all the commandments. Hey, I'm doing really well. And Jesus says, okay, I've got another one for you. Go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor. He said, he couldn't do it. He didn't say, oh, that's great. And he says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, you see, well, did, you know, did Jesus endorse tithing? This is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now listen to this. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So what is happening here? Jesus, he said, you Pharisees, you're so fastidious about tithing. You know, we talked about tithing on your crops. You know, we had in mind wheat and barley. You've got a little pot of parsley and you're tithing on that. You're so fastidious. You, You know, think about spice. I mean, has anyone ever like grown a herb garden or something? It's not a crop, right? It's like in a plant pot. And he's saying, you, you tithe your spice. And, and actually, justice, mercy, and faithfulness are more important. And you've neglected it. But let me tell you this, what Jesus says, you should have done the latter without neglecting the former. Because the principle continues. And the principle continues under grace. You see, logically, this is what, what I would believe, is that if God is first and best... And to align to that means that the first and the best belong to him. And the law embodies that and says, give a tenth. Then under grace, my starting point has to be a tenth. I can't make any more sense of it. Now another question comes, do I have to tithe? Well, that question's flawed because in grace there is no have to. But will you be blessed if you do? Yes, you will. Will you align yourself to his higher ways? Yes, you will. And if you don't, will you be misaligned? I I believe that you will. I believe we come in and God says, I'll open the windows of heaven. You might say, well, what about Malachi? That's Old Testament. The Bible says the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So if I submit to God in this area, then the windows of heaven, I can expect them to be open over my life. There's a lot of teaching there. Let me just talk to you a little bit out of our practice and, and experience. See, we, we, we've been tithing for 25 years. You know, we, we're passionate about expressing as a starting point that the first and the best belong to God. And it's a joy for us to do that. You know, we, we tithe gross. We, I'm not going to fall out with anybody on this, but our income, because, it, because it's the first. You know, for Israel, it was the first tenth. It wasn't once you've harvested everything, measure off the last tenth and give it to the Lord. Is it, give the first tenth to the Lord. 
So if we could get to our money before the tax man, that means a tenth belongs to the Lord. Hello? It's not a big deal. I'm not going to war with you on this. I'm just, I'll tell you how we're trying to live out. But that's a starting point for us. And then we're able to give offerings over and above as the Lord would prompt because really it's all his. Now like many of you, we stepped out in faith with, our, with a vision offering in October. I calculated this last week. I've not been sitting on this, but just because I'm thinking about this. And I'm thinking about some people being challenged. Now, in the 12 months from last October to the coming October, we're, we're giving 30% of our income to the church, not 10%. Why? Because it's a starting point. We're trusting the Lord. And you might think, well, you guys must be absolutely loaded. Let me tell you this. We are walking out what 2 Corinthians 8 says, giving beyond your ability. We are on new territory right now. We have stepped out and by the grace of God, he is helping us to give what is not possible for us to give. We are on a faith walk and we talked about this in the autumn. To do something, we are going to have a testimony come, come this coming October to say this is what God enabled us to do. It was beyond our ability. This is not out of spare, it's out of obedience and we're trusting God. Now you might think, well, it's easy for you. You look at other people and go, oh, it must be easy for them. Let me tell you, we have practiced this in season and out of season. We've practiced it in plenty. We've practiced it in lack. And I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, when, when I was in my early 20s, I worked for a church. Um, my gross annual salary was £6,000. Now, I, I, yesterday, I, I, wor- I worked this out. I went to an inflation calculator, not because I'm bitter about it, because I want to help some people. And I, I, I calculated that... In today's money, 2017, £6,000 annual salary is £8,300. That was my salary. Now, minimum wage, I found out yesterday, for that, uh, for that age group, 21 to 25, would give you an annual salary of just under £14,000. Now, I, I was doing this before minimum wage. I was on 8300 Here's the point. I was earning 60% of minimum wage and a tithe gross. And I wanted to tell you, I, I never went without I was always able to pay my bills. I was always able to do it. Why? Because the, the first and the best belong to God. And then he'll open the windows of heaven. Now, was I, was I awash with finance? I want to tell you, it was a lean season of my life. I learned to manage a budget tight. I learned to walk in little. I learned to trust God from week to week and month to month. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Where there's too much month at the end of the money. I was, I was living there. But you know what happened at the end of three years where I'd somehow got through? I, that season came to an end and I needed to get a job. And I applied for a job and there was a particular job that I went for that uh, would have paid me a salary more than twice of what I had been on, which probably wasn't difficult because I wasn't on very much. And I went for this interview and a strange thing happened. I got a call later that day to say, do you want the good news or the bad news? And I said, what, what are you on about? And uh, the consultant who would put me in for the interview said, well, the, the bad news is they don't want you for the job that you went for. But the good news is the lady who was in the room should have been a human resources manager, but she was sick and it was her boss's boss's boss. She's the vice president of human resources working for the European division. And she'd like to see you over an assessment day and put you forward for a management fast track scheme that will pay you significantly more salary and company car and laptop and fully fuel and American, uh, you know, American Express uh, corporate card and share options and pension and, 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 and normally you're supposed to have a business degree and have a, a first class or two one and have done two to three years in business to get this job. I had none of that and they wanted to look at me over a day. I said, look, what happens if I don't cut the mustard on the day? Can I still do the other job? They said, no, you've blown it. <laughs> I went for this day. They liked the look of me and they gave me the job. God's hand on. I, I listen, I, I want, I'm not... I'm not making this stuff up. I'm telling you, this is part of our testimony because if I can, I want to release faith in some of you to bring the first and the best to the Lord. And you will not outgive God. It may not happen immediately. You know, I stepped out and the Lord provided for me. The windows of heaven began to open over my life. I got promoted five times in four years in that job. I ended up being on the other side of the recruitment process. We used to put an advert in the Sunday Times. We'd get five to 6,000 applicants for 10 jobs. I was so far away from getting that job. But the Lord said, you know what? I like what you've been doing. You've been honoring me. 
you've, you've been bringing the first and the best. I'm about to open the windows of heaven. I'm about to do something that no one else could do for you. And I just walk straight in. Listen, I want to encourage you, my friends, to trust the Lord in this area of your life. The final thing I want us to consider, Lamar, would you come? Time has gone. Is that the first, the principle of first always required, and I say required advisedly, perspective and faith. You know, I think we can look back, can't we, at Israel? We look at Cain and Abel, and we kind of, it's all detached. It's so long ago. It's like, you know, we kind of don't get it. It's like, you know, for Joshua and Jericho, you know, it's just a world away from 2017 where we live. I want to tell you, it was always the same. It always required perspective. The perspective that says, it's all yours, Lord. They had to carry that perspective that God was their provider. You know, if we carry a perspective that says what I have is mine because I earned it, I am functioning like an unbeliever contemplating giving to charity. But if I move into covenant, I say, Lord, you're my provider now. If I'm in work, my employer is my current channel through which you are providing. But if I lose that job, you're still my provider. It all comes from your hand. Now that's where I position myself. And that's why Israel, that's why Joshua, that's why Abel, that, that's why Abraham could function as they function because they understood they'd come into relationship to one who was able, to one whose arm was not too sure, to the God who sees and the God who sees to it, whose hand was always open. It takes perspective. If I look at this uh, and I lean on my own understanding, I'm never going to be able to do it. I meet numbers of people who say, I, I'd, I'd like to tithe, but I can't afford to. Let me tell you, you'll never be able to afford to tithe until you start to tithe. I remember four years ago when, when we first taught into this here at CLM, I had what I thought was a really good idea because I really want to help people get going on this and trust God because we'd seen God's hand in our lives so powerfully. And I had this great idea. I thought what we'll do, we'll say, if you've not moved into this before of trusting God with your substance, if you're not moved in this area of tithing, then what we'd ask you to do, do it for three months. And if you don't see God come through for you, we'll give you your money back. That was my idea. I thought, that's, that's so cool. How cool is that? That's going to work. That's going to help some people. And, and then I felt the Holy Spirit chastise me as hard as I've ever felt Him chastise me. It's like, don't you dare mess with what is holy. This, this is faith. When I said to Peter, come walk on the water, I didn't want anyone on the boat throwing him some armbands. Hello? This is a holy thing. This is a faith step. The, the Lord said, don't, don't try and mess with it. Don't try and disrespect my people that they cannot step up and trust me as part of their discipleship. You see, the principle of first always required perspective and it always required faith. For somebody in Israel to give the first tenth of their crops, not knowing for sure if next week there wouldn't be a storm that would wipe the rest out, that takes faith. To give the firstborn of your cattle or your, your sheep, not knowing that others would follow, suspecting they would, it takes faith. And this will take faith for many of you. I know there are people here today, you've not stepped out in this. I got this testimony through this week. This is a, a man in our congregation. He said, I was brought up in a Christian home. I went to church at an early age. I made a commitment to Jesus when I was 13. I strive to be the kind of person I thought God and my parents wanted me to be. I quickly realized, though, that the faith I had was not my own, but that of my parents. So when testing times and temptations came my way, I'd falter. I'd go through the cycle of guilt, repentance, recommitment. I loved God and I loved His Word. I tried my best to practice what I read or heard preached. However, there was one particular area I struggled to be consistent in obeying God in, and it was the area of giving. I believe that bringing my tithes and giving offerings were important principles that believers ought to practice, but I found myself bringing my tithe on an ad hoc basis because I couldn't reconcile giving away a tenth of my earnings when I had things to pay for. I wrestled with it for years. I would be convicted whenever I'd be in church and hear a message on it because I knew it was the right thing to do and I wasn't obeying God in this area. On coming to CLM a year and a half ago, pastors Martin and Esther and I were discussing what it meant to trust God with our finances. 
by the end of the conversation, I made a commitment to be consistent in my giving to God. I decided I had to put my faith in God to take care of my financial needs. And I began to bring my tithes. Since making that decision, I have seen God open doors of opportunity for, to, for me to earn new money. People have come up to me at times and blessed me unexpectedly with money. I believe with all my heart, this upturn in my financial situation is a direct result of paying my tithes and putting my faith in God to be my provider. I understand you might feel challenged today. You might want to get this right, but you're not sure if you can. Let me simply, as we come into finish, remind you that this is a two-way test. The Lord says, test me. Test me in this. It doesn't say this anywhere else in Scripture. It's a test, test me in this. I dare you. That's what the Lord's saying. I dare you. You do this. You watch what I do. I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven over your life. I'll provide for you in ways you could not imagine. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. Now we've got appliances in our house. They just go on and on and on and on and on. They're going to keep going on. Because the pests aren't going to devour our crops. I'm not against replacing an appliance. I just say, the Lord can help you in a thousand ways. It's not too difficult for him. He says, and the nations of the earth will call you blessed. I understand some of you will have different demands Some of you, I know there's many in this congregation who have family overseas and there are demands uh, from those families to to bring support for medical reasons, education reasons. And and I know some people wrestle with all of this. And, And you can look and go, it's all right for you. I'm in a different set of circumstances. Let me tell you, if this is the word of the Lord, if this is His principle, then it applies in every culture and in every situation. I just have to make a decision that I'm going to put him first, f- first, and trust him with the rest. Not that I'm going to try and take care of everything else and everyone else and everybody else's need, and now I, I can't trust the Lord. We have to align ourselves to the one who is first and best. And I understand you could sit there and go, that's easy for you to say you're not in my world. I've walked some places you've not walked. I've gone through some things you've not gone through. I've trusted God when there was no way of some of this stuff working, but I tell you it worked because it's a principle of God and it will work wherever you are, whoever you are and whatever's going on in your life because God is first and the first and the best belong to Him. Can we pray? Holy Spirit, in these moments, would you come? I'm so conscious, Lord, no one's ever going to come to a point of faith by a good argument, but by the conviction of Holy Spirit that would release faith into our hearts to come in alignment to your principles and your ways. And I pray right now you would brood over your people and every person may be wrestling, may be sensing you, prodding their heart at this moment not because you're after their pocket but you're after their heart I thank you for your promise Lord that says you'll open the windows of heaven and I pray you would help every person here to take a step forward in this area every person to move to a new level and measure of faith that you are able that you are the provider of all things That 90% with your hand on will always go further than 100% with your hand off. And I pray, help us, God, to be your people. Help us to be a covenant people. Help us, Lord, to move into a new dimension of knowing you and proving you. I pray, my God, would you do a work in our hearts? Would you release faith for the honor of your name? And I pray, Lord, that every person that seeks to either remain faithful or take a new step in this area that you would surprise them. You would open the windows of heaven according to your word and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. In Jesus' name, amen.